Welcome to another episode of the Roll Bama Roll podcast. I'm Wesley Gullett as always. I'll be joined by Brad Canning. It's Iron Bowl week. Obviously, we'll touch on that. The basketball team's played a couple games since our last podcast. We'll have a few PSAs. We'll hit on the Citadel. But first, Brad, we did mention a couple of weeks ago, we noticed several listeners from different countries. Uh, mm-hmm. We did get a message and wanted to send a shout out to Scott Ray, who's deployed in Saudi Arabia. Scott is a WSO in the Air Force and listens to the podcast. Yeah, Scott, we really appreciate you listening. We wanted to give him a shout out and also for what Scott does and where he's at and still being able to listen to us. We also wanted you guys to show your thankfulness for what he does and what he's sacrificing right now and going and following Scott on Twitter. His handle is at Scott Epic Ray, Scott Epic Ray on Twitter. Make sure you go out and follow him. All right, give Scott a follow. Moving on, Brad. Alabama was tied with the Citadel at halftime. Is there anyone alive who thinks that wasn't the absolute best-case scenario for Nick Saban? (laughs) If they are, I'd like to get their opinion as to why. We were were making fun of the Citadel money line, right, being plus 200,000 last week. But Uh when when Miller Forstall fumbled that kickoff after half, it kind of had me wishing I I put 100 on it. Uh Yeah. Uh, between that and a lot of the other things that transpired in the first half, I was ready just to go ahead and lose that game. It, it was not good. But to me, the way I looked at it is Alabama actually trolled all of us. They flipped the script in terms of how they score each game this year so far. Typically, Alabama scores 40 or more points most of the time in the first half and then one or two touchdowns in the second half. Well, they wanted us to get humble and learn some new respect for the Tide in this dynasty, and then they went ahead and made it a 50-point game at the end. It it had me going there for a minute between the damn kicks, the fumbles, the penalties. I just, uh, it was was nerve-wracking. And Tua still didn't play in the fourth quarter. (laughs) Which is just incredible. <laughs> I, I still, I, I don't think, and this is foreshadowing for the rest of this episode, but I don't think that's going to happen this weekend. And I have to think Georgia is going to be the last chance it does before 2019. And by that, I mean the playoffs. That's insane, though. But hey, the tide turned it up in the second half. If we had a video of Nick Saban at halftime in that locker room, it, it would make national news, correct? Like he was, there was no way that he wasn't berating every everybody in the entire locker room. Well, I just hope uh, if you're in the business of commercial painting, you submitted a uh, bid in because that locker room probably needed to get painted again <laughs> after that. So, But we, we kind of know at this point, Alabama's biggest hurdle is Alabama. You agree? Yeah, I mean, nothing's shown otherwise. Well, they're in a position where they're chasing not only a national championship, but they're also chasing the title of greatest team in the history of college football. I, mm-hmm. I know that's subjective, but if they continue at this pace, that's going to be a conversation that's had. And as it sits, after Alabama's win over the Citadel this weekend, they became the first team in the AP poll era to win by 21 or more points in the first 11 games of a season. Just just say that again so we can actually take that in. <laughs> After Alabama's win over the Citadel, they became the first team in the AP poll era to win by 21 or more points in the first 11 games of a season. I mean, they're they're going to be in that conversation. I mean, they still have to finish the job. If they're going to have that title, they can't lose a game. They can't lose the Iron Bowl, obviously the SEC championship. They're going to have to run everybody out of the building, basically. Well, yeah, look, you know, I did about three years ago now, I wrote a 1200 word essay for a different website that I was with at the time about the top dynasties in college football history. To me, that Nebraska team in the mid 90s, actually the three year span they had is just unheralded in the stats they put up and everything and what they did to Florida and championship game, all that. I'm telling you with them averaging over 50 
I think it was like 52, 54 points a game on offense and less than 12 to 14 points on defense per game throughout an entire season. That is the greatest team of all time, arguably, and Alabama's numbers are right there with it. We will have to see what goes on. Saban was asked during his coach's radio show what his thoughts were on Alabama having a, their seniors having a 52-3 and record, which is one win behind the all-time record. And you know who the all-time record was? Alabama, I'm assuming. Last, last year's seniors, okay. 53-5. and five. So the guys win the Iron Bowl this weekend, they're going to be 53-3. and three. And they will tie last year's seniors at 53 and five with a couple more games to go. It's incredible. I mean, absolutely incredible. And then Alabama last week set a uh, win streak record at home in Bryant Denny Stadium. Uh, they have now won the most consecutive amount of games without a loss in Bryant Denny ever. The numbers just continue. I said it last year when we started this podcast, and it's every week is a gift of I don't know how there's records for Saban and Alabama in general to still beat, but it's still even more mind-blowing the ones that they actually do that you never really consider or think of well brad it is thanksgiving week and we are thankful for those seniors that senior class absolutely we on the roll bama roll podcast wanted to go over a few things that we're thankful for brad you want to start us off yeah the obvious thing is we are very thankful for roll bama roll and the opportunity that they give us every week to present what i would call this (laughs) this professional podcast in a sense uh (laughs) But we're also even more thankful for you guys that listen. Somehow you keep coming back. I don't know why. I want to thank you, though. Maybe it's the bad jokes. I don't know. But I did want to give you guys a big thank you for that, because without you guys, we wouldn't be able to do this. All right, Brad, I'm thankful for the Citadel, for giving Nick Saban plenty of I told you so material for players and media alike. And the the Sit-Tua uh, sit argument got demolished. Yeah, I'm also thankful for the Citadel players and coaches that actually have a Twitter, you know, letting those Twitter fingers fire out uh, some tweets after the game. Because apparently, in their world, it is okay for some dirty plays, some late hits, but it's also not okay to get your ass kicked, get paid over a million dollars, and not get your hands shook by the team, you know, that's paying you all that money and just beat the hell out of you. Because they were on Twitter after the game crying a little bit about it there was a couple fans and and assistant coaches that did shake their hand but at the end get the hell over it (laughs) yeah the cut blocks while they are legal were were pretty prevalent in that game and there was a couple of late hits a couple of things that the players clearly were not fans of the second thing Wes I had was the obvious one as well it's I'm thankful for Nick Saban our sweet Samoan prince you know not Hawaiian he is from Hawaii but he's Samoan let's try to change it over to our sweet Samoan prince on that hashtag Uh, And the rest of this team, which arguably is the greatest team in Alabama history. Lastly, I am thankful for the University of Kansas. Mm, This will be good. They have blessed us with the opportunity to take in more (laughs) Les Miles press conferences. Oh, and God, did they show, or did he show, they made the perfect hire with that introduction. (laughs) Uh, Holy hell, did you see the space out moment he had? Yeah, I did, yeah. Oh, the perfect tweet I saw about that was him going and he for 15 seconds kept repeating the same three words and he had a 10 second pause. 
and somebody goes less at that moment had realized he just became the head coach of the Kansas football team. <laughs> All right. So quickly, do you think there's any chance that he has success there? Well, the good thing is the bar is set so damn low that <laughs> success will be defined by two to three wins a year. But I'm going to tell you this, that running back they had that went the hell off on Oklahoma last week, he's awesome. But he is really about to have two to three concussions in the next year or two because Les is going to run his ass to death. Oh, it's it's a virtually impossible job, especially if you don't have like an innovative offensive mind coaching. Oh, God. So you, yeah, that... <laughs> yeah, you, you, you kind of have to get creative with that job, right? And has anybody ever accused Les Miles of being creative on offense? God, no. All right. Moving All right. on. Moving on. Well, the final thing I wanted to throw in there to be thankful for is the refs, okay? For somehow giving Alabama all of the calls, they do it in such a manner that's hidden to where Alabama's not ranked in the top 50 in the country every year for opponent penalties per game. Thank you so much, guys. We're glad the checks continue to clear, and uh, we hope it doesn't change. I will be sending mine in this week. We do have some PSAs, Brad. I will kick it off. The University of Miami's leading receiver, Jeff Thomas, is no longer part of the Hurricane program as of Wednesday. I did see that, and uh, yeah, (laughs) Mark Rick. Still losing control. <laughs> For those who have not watched Jeff Thomas play, he's one of the top wide receivers in the country. He became an instant playmaker basically his freshman year at Miami. Obviously, the Miami offense hasn't clicked like it did last season. They're 92nd in total offense. But Jeff Thomas is their best playmaker. He has 35 catches, 563 yards, three touchdowns. This situation is still very new. So I will say I don't know what is behind him leaving. We do know he's seeking a transfer. We do know Alabama really liked him in high school. A lot of recruiting analysts thought he was going to commit to Alabama in the summer of 2016. Alabama staff was worried about him qualifying academically, so they held off on taking his commitment. We also know that Alabama is possibly only taking one wide receiver in the 2019 recruiting class in John Mechie. A receiver will be a huge emphasis in the 2020 class, which conveniently would be when Jeff Thomas would be eligible after a transfer. So this, this is pure speculation on my part. Like I said, I don't know what the circumstances behind him leaving Miami are, But I'd be surprised if Alabama doesn't at least do their homework on it. If you've watched him, you know from a talent standpoint, he'd fit right in with a group of receivers at Alabama right now. So that's definitely something to potentially keep an eye on. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Alabama sends a U up text to him. So (laughs) my first PSA I had was to uh, Urban Meyer, and I just wanted to give him... I know he has enough medical advice as it is, but I wanted to make sure he understands that if he keeps tugging on it, it's going to fall off. So I don't know if you guys saw, but during that Maryland game, which somehow went overtime, and then somehow Ohio State gave up the most rushing yards in the first half of a game ever to Maryland's running back. He was seen on the sidelines uh, just uh, doing uh, motions below the waist that, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was, you, you he guys was adjusting. Do the rest of it. Yeah, there you he go. He was adjusting. Yeah, so I just wanted to make sure uh, Urban gets that information. So. <laughs> Place kicking has been a journey for nearly a decade oh, now. Oh, God. Let me grab this drink real quick. <laughs> but this season, uh, the foot aids is on full display, right? I- I'm surprised I can walk at this point. <laughs> Alabama has missed eight extra points on the season. The rest of the SEC combined has missed four. I wear that as one ugly badge of honor. <laughs> Per Cecil Hurt, this is not even the worst season in Alabama history for kicking. You a lie. The 1950 <laughs> team made only one field goal all season, and they were 33 of 47 on extra points. 
Jesus Somehow, Christ. Brad, that team still went nine and two. Some things never change. The second thing I had was we all saw this week that Herb Smith was snubbed as the finalist for the John Mackey Award, which is more criminal than anything. But against Citadel, Big Herb had that awesome touchdown catch and run. That was his seventh touchdown of the season, and he has now passed some guy named Ozzie Newsom for the most in a year at Alabama. Uh, he left that defensive back's ankles on the field. I think they're still there. I yeah. Think, uh, yeah, I think that guy's ankles are still on the floor. No, that was – and a big man, too, on that run. That A guy that size is not supposed to move that fast. I, honestly, I cannot recall ever – I'm sure that it's happened, but I, I cannot recall seeing – a tight end break somebody's ankles in the open field like what happened and like you said granted it was a citadel yeah but still those are those are respectable athletes playing defensive back in college football (laughs) all right so my final psa i had wes was everyone and i kind of sent this out on twitter too after the game everyone get ready for the extra dosage of kyler murray's heisman hype so last year the Heisman Award show that ESPN does, it was the worst year ratings-wise they have ever had since they broadcasted the award ceremony. This year, and both quarterbacks already putting up historic years alone, and it just happens to be going on at the same time, what do you think with two weeks left, ESPN is going to wish that can happen? Is it continues to get close, and it looks like the Alabama player may not win it like they thought all year long, because why? That translates into ratings. Uh, Oklahoma's already putting it out there, the first three-quarter stats for Kyler Murray and comparing them to Tua's. I did see that. So, Pick 6 Previews on Twitter had put out a little troll thing of Alabama fans they were trying to go after saying, oh, Tua has all these stats. He hasn't even played a fourth quarter. And they go, well, let's take out Kyler Murray's fourth quarters and let's look at them compared to Tua's. So, Kyler Murray in the first three quarters of the season, or first three quarters of every game this season has 3,545 yards. 37 touchdowns and six interceptions. Tua, the entire season, has 520 less passing yards. He has 3,000 yards, a little over 3,000 yards. Mm-hmm. Tua has 35 touchdowns total. Kyler had 37. Tua has two interceptions. Kyler had six. Yeah, you know, I mean, we, we scream, like, as a fan base, we scream, like, hey, Tua hasn't played in the fourth quarter. He really hasn't played much in the third quarter either. That's the other thing I'd love to find. I, I could not find it, and I didn't want to do the math because, trust me, everyone out there, you guys don't want me counting anything. But I, I didn't go back and do all the games so far and number of third-quarter passing attempts. But I can imagine it is low. Okay, I'd, I'd like to see their first-half stats lined up next to each other. I got some stats about the team that's really going to put this into perspective. Alabama ranks 95th nationally in pass attempts per game. So they rank 95th in the country at 27.9 pass attempts a game. But they are 7th in the country overall at 328 passing yards a game. That's that's efficiency. And they are 2nd in passing touchdowns with 38. And they're 1st in passing yards per attempt at 11.8. So they have the 95th amount of passing attempts but they're in the top 30 on everything else. That is insane. I know that Oklahoma fans are going to back their guy, and naturally, we expect that. But anyone other than Tua Tungavaloa receiving the Heisman, and granted, there's two games left, but if he he has two Tua-like games, and anybody else other than him (laughs) wins the Heisman Trophy, it will be tragic. Look, ESPN's going to do what they do. I'm not going to say they're going to be against Alabama. they got the SEC network. They're loving the run that Alabama has. But they're going to pull a 2012 Manti Teo type of run if Oklahoma goes into uh, Morgantown and wins this coming weekend and Kyler has a good game. 
the yeah. worst thing that could happen is they lose to West Virginia because that then puts Texas in the Big 12 championship, not Oklahoma. Yeah, they're, they want to sell their show. I mean, naturally, that's that's a given. Another thing as far as it pertains to the Heisman Trophy, you know, I've been in the stadium for every national championship since 09. And in the years that they did not have a Heisman Trophy winner, and there was like confetti raining down on my head, there was not a single point where I thought, wow, but I really wish that somebody would have won the Heisman. Oh, yeah. No, look, I'll agree with you, too. I, I know my priorities. Right. But at the same time, I know what's right and wrong. Right, right. Yeah. And what's right is when Tua raises the damn trophy, he should already have raised another trophy before that. I mean, clearly everybody in the fan base wants Tua to win. But like when he threw that pass last year <laughs> and I was in the Mercedes-Benz Dome or whatever it's called in Atlanta, there was not a point in that night where I ever thought about the Heisman Trophy. I mean, and also with him winning it, it sets up the ability for Najee to go on his run next year. But <laughs> you, you know, you're it is on the Najee is. train. Oh, I am, and I want everyone else to be aware of that, too, because if Najee's healthy next year, he's going to go the hell off, and they're not going to ever let another player, if they can help it, win back-to-back Heismans. Anyways, we're not going there. All right, Brad. Last week, I was I was questioning Avery Johnson and the basketball program right before they kind of bounced back and won a couple games in Charleston. Some of my bigger concerns or questions were kind of answered, I think. I know there's a lot of season left, so I say this reluctantly, but I can only go off what my eyes tell me. I questioned if a 17-year-old could be the guy that this team will be able to lean on. I'm starting to think that he can. I know he's going to have some ups and downs through its long season, but the more I see of Kyra Lewis, the more sold that I am. Kyra will not be old enough to enter the NBA draft after the season. So Alabama will get him for at least two seasons, but he may have a decision to make after year two. Yeah. If you remember, I, I wanted Coach Johnson to throw Tevin back to the Wolves, basically. Cut down the rotation, get Tevin big minutes, give him the green light. Avery clearly listened to the podcast, right? No, yeah, no. I gave him a little <laughs> shout out on Twitter. I mean, dude, that's awesome. That, that's exactly what happened after the North Northeastern game. We saw Tevin Mack become possibly an even better version of what we saw at Texas. Uh, I still want to see more a more consistent version of Dante Hall. I'm starting to like Dazon Ingram in the lineup with Kyra Lewis as either the primary or the secondary ball handler. And Alabama, at the very least, needs to keep John Petty at the level he's played at early. They're going to need a couple of things to come together and stay consistent to challenge the top teams in the league like Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn. But they do have the talent to compete and make the tournament. And I think in year four of Avery Johnson, that's what we should come to expect as a fan base. LSU, Mississippi State, they're also in the top 25 right now. The SEC is a conference that's going to get eight or so teams in the tournament and I don't think finishing in the top half of the conference is unobtainable for this team no I think it's a realistic goal for sure and I think it's still early to truly say what the identity of this team is too yeah so I don't want to overreact but I naturally that's what I do when it comes to Alabama basketball (laughs) (laughs) so moving on to the Iron Bowl this this game that they talk about like it's meaningful because the Iron Bowl doesn't matter (laughs) <laughs> All right, that's the, there's a lot of talk like there's one side of the fan base that, that's shouting, Iron Bowl doesn't matter. The other side kind of gets offended by it. Like, hey, the Iron Bowl always matters. Yeah. So, and look, it, that other side can't truly figure out that it's a troll. Okay? Yeah, so, right. That, that's not my fault. Exactly. And it's not my fault I had a tweet go viral that AL.com had an article they posted saying, in Alabama, the Iron Bowl creates our legends and lore. Yeah. So I quote tweeted it and I said, well, 
let's revisit my favorite legend and lore of the series, and that is the Iron Bowl of 2017. Number one, Auburn won. They gave Gus $49 million. Number two, Saban got an extra week off, and he was able to recruit. Number three, the players got an extra week off to rest and recover. Alabama won another national championship, and finally... The Iron Bowl didn't matter. So the Iron Bowl is always going to like personally matter to fans, correct? Well, but, yeah. <laughs> but essentially this year, again, the Iron Bowl doesn't matter. Right. If Alabama loses this game and then go, they still control their own destiny. They, they still, in order to win the national championship, they still have to beat Georgia. They still make the playoffs. They still have to win two games in the playoffs. As long as they beat Georgia, yes. Even if they lose Saturday, it will not matter. Essentially, when you're talking about what the goal of the season is, the Iron Bowl doesn't matter. Now, when we're talking about chasing history, it does come into play there. Because like we oh. said earlier, they cannot lose a game if they want to be in that conversation for the greatest team of all time. Well, not even that. The other thing that I really would like to see is Tua never lose a game in his collegiate career as a starter. True. So, and there's a very real chance that can happen because he's damn near halfway there. So, <laughs> A couple things that stood out to me with Auburn. They're 86th in total offense. They do not have that reliable runner that they generally have. There's no carry on Johnson. There's no Cam Petway from 2016. Uh, they've had... Peyton Barber, Trey Mason, even Corey Grant. And that guy just does not exist on their roster this year. No, and between that, or the lack of that, and also their offensive line play, which has been average at best uh it's been a very tough season all of that probably plays into Jarrett Stidham kind of regressing this year which has absolutely happened because let's keep in mind this guy was a dark horse Heisman contender and a potential first round draft pick as late as August this year I look I don't know if you watched him as early as going back to his career at Baylor but he looked like such a promising prospect then even at the end of the end of last season, he had a choice to make. Like you said, he he essentially had an NFL decision to make. Uh, he chose to come back. He was one of the preseason Heisman Trophy favorites, and it seemed like for good reason. Nobody was arguing that, right? Nobody was thinking that Jarrett Stidham didn't belong on that list. But this kind of goes back to Gus having trouble developing guys on offense. You can't name a single quarterback prospect that Gus Malzahn has ever <laughs> developed out of high school. Not one. And literally the very first topic ever on this podcast we we did for the first time for Roll Bama Roll was talking about Gus <laughs> and never developing anybody. And I'll tell you what, at least somebody's making us look smart. Yeah. And it's incredible because you think at one point he's going to be able to get lucky and, and raise a kid himself within his system. But uh, I don't know. And, you know, talk about the lack of a running game or a, a bell cow back. I had some a stat about a wide receiver of theirs that is pretty incredible. Ryan Davis, mm-hmm. a wide receiver for Auburn, he now has 60 catches on the year with zero touchdowns wow he has he has nearly 600 yards he's almost averaging 10 yards a catch 60 catches no touchdowns only one other player in the entire country has more catches and that's justin hall of ball state with a very nice 69 catches on the year and no touchdowns that's incredible and for a comparison stance jerry judy leads the sec with 10 touchdowns a thousand and two yards on only 51 catches. <laughs> Look, he, he, Gus just, he gained a reputation off of Cam Newton. But reality just <laughs> reared its ugly head since that season. He's at his best when a player that somebody else develops leading his offense. Uh, stay tuned because, you know, Kelly Bryant's yeah. going to be in town. So yeah. That's but exactly why they're in the Kelly Bryant sweepstakes. Exactly. And, you know, look, I still think it's not the best move for Kelly Bryant, to be honest with you. But if history tells us anything, if he goes to Auburn next year, Auburn's going to have an Auburn run next year. Just 
just telling you now. Well, that, that kind of seems like the rotation, right? Uh, Auburn has a down year. They sign a grad transfer quarterback or a transfer quarterback or whoever it may be or a JUCO quarterback. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> let's let's do the numbers. New quarterback that someone else developed, an odd number year, Iron Bowl and Georgia game in Auburn. Yeah. Expect them to be a top 10 team in the country <laughs> next year. Gus saves his job. It's oh. like clockwork, man. Yeah. But look, you were mentioned uh, offensive stats so far as far as overall offensive numbers. Yeah. I wanted to look back at the Liberty game they had last week on Cupcake Week. Before kickoff against Liberty through the first 10 games of the year, Auburn was 103rd in the nation and also next to last in the SEC on third down conversions. And you would think in Cupcake Week against Liberty, they probably did a better job than a team that's 103rd in the country and worst in the SEC. But Auburn went 2-12 and 12 on third down against Liberty. Wow. But they did go 2-3 and three on fourth down. So, yeah, between that, Stidham, no running back, putrid O-line, I'm telling you right now, 24 is about four points too low. Yeah, and look, there was no reason to think at the beginning of the season. Where were they ranked in the preseason rankings? They were top ten. Uh, top correct? eight. They were like eighth or ninth. Yeah, yeah somewhere on there. Yeah, and like, like we were saying for for the preseason Heisman hope for Jarrett Stidham, it was with good reason. Good reason that they were a top ten team in the country. Auburn has a lot of talent on their roster. I mean, as far as like talented rosters go, from one to eighty five, how many rosters in the country are more talented than Auburn's? I mean, off the um, top of my head, Alabama, Georgia, obviously. I mean, I, mean I think there's probably about 10 teams. Yeah, I mean, at best. Yeah, if that. Yeah. If that. Gus has kind of turned that into whatever it is that they have on the field this year. I mean. <laughs> the land where talent goes to die. <laughs> A team that lost to Tennessee at home in one of the worst performances that I've ever seen by an Auburn football team. Oh, and mm-hmm. probably two of the worst interceptions I've ever seen by a quarterback. Yeah, this will be the worst Iron Bowl for Auburn since 2012. I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there. All right, you have a final score prediction? Uh, yeah, and I also have a final thing I'm thankful for in that it's uh, it's not a hot Auburn team, and this game's not in Auburn like last year. Because, <laughs> Auburn uh, doesn't have nine wins. I do remember last year uh, driving through Auburn on my way home to my parents, and uh, you know you could feel that black magic in the air. I knew we were going to lose. Uh, I did say we don't need to kick a field goal, which one was blocked and almost ran back in that game, too. That point still remains west we do not need to kick a field goal in the iron bowl and then the second thing is yeah i do think alabama covers not only the 24 i think they hit it at four scores exactly i think they cover it by 28 or more yeah i'm thinking so, i'm thinking like 45 to 10 yeah i would be gracious by giving Auburn more than 14 <laughs> um i really do think they're gonna they're gonna have their hands full i don't know where the points are i mean that's almost any opponent this year we've asked that same question you can almost ask it every single week what where are the points going to come from also um, to, to your point i know we're kind of backtracking a little bit here and we'll kind of hang it up after this but to your point of not kicking field goals are you on i'm, I'm kind of on team no extra points for the rest of the season Dude, I've been screaming Mike Tomlin's got the right damn game plan with the Steelers. They they hardly ever kick an extra point. They go for yeah. two all the time. I've so, been screaming that since week one. Let's do it. So you're talking about potentially the best offense in college football at Alabama. All that you need to do is convert on half of your two-point conversions, correct, to score the same amount of points. Mm-hmm. There's no way that anybody stops them more than 50% of the time. No. It's not going to happen. Not at all. So it's going to end up being a positive for Alabama in the sense that they're going to end up scoring more points, and they're not going to have to fear the eight extra points that they've missed this season. Eight. Yeah, but can you imagine, look, uh, the number of things that a lot of the asses with Saban are chapped over, it's basically been, it's reached its peak. There's really nothing else they think they can get pissed at Saban, you know, continuing to do or being mean and ugly and all that. Imagine if he starts going for two points after every touchdown. 
Oh my God. I'm here for it. You thought the plea didn't care about the players? <laughs> oh. Uh, can you right. can you imagine an Iron Bowl where where Alabama's up forty four to ten and they're going for a two point conversion? Well, if they want this check, they better be doing it this weekend. <laughs> All right. This has been the Roll Bama Roll Podcast. Roll Todd.